Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg and Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And Senior Editor Vinny Mancuso. Hello, hello. Today, we'll be talking about Godzilla versus Kong. We're going to start off by talking about the respective histories of Godzilla and Kong. I watched the Godzilla movies. Uh, Vinny watched the King Kong movies. We're going to do a bit of spoiler-free discussion about the new movie. And then we'll let you know when we're about to move into spoilers for Godzilla versus Kong. And then we will finish up with reader hot takes and with uh, recently watched. So with that... Um, Surprise, you know, this is not a Godzilla versus Kong podcast. I bought, brought Vinny on to, to talk to you about the Snyder Cut even more. No! <laughs> we are going to restore that universe. We're, we're review bombing our own podcast. <laughs> no! <laughs> All future podcasts will be about the Snyder Cut until... Well, like, like what I'm about to be like, Diamond's like, hey, so the Oscar winners were announced, boom, Snyder Cut! <laughs> Before the record, the Snyder Cut is good. I just want to state the rest, be on the record as a Snyder. Now, now I'm outnumbered. I'm, I was outnumbered <laughs> by everyone on the, it's great. I went in, like I was the, I think I was the first one on staff to watch the film. And I'm like, guys, it's not good. And then one by one, everyone's like, I think it's pretty good. It was such a funny <laughs> gradual shift because everyone kept watching this four hour movie. We'd pop in and be like, oh, like it's so slow. And then like at hour three, people would be like, oh, I really like this. And at hour four, someone would pop in and be like, oh no, I liked it. Oh crap. I liked it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Oops. I, yeah, I, I was the surprising minority on, on the Snyder Cut. But this week, it's about Godzilla versus Kong. We're, we're pretty much all in agreement on this movie, and we'll get to what that agreement is. But first, um, Godzilla and Kong have been around for a very long time. Uh, King Kong was 1933, I believe. Um, Godzilla is 1954. And there have been sequels and remakes and, and what have you. Um, and, and so Vinny, you're our guest uh, this week, and I wanted to sort of ask you, you know, what did you gather from sort of going through the King Kong movies? Um, I gathered that it's one of those situations where I feel like a lot of people love the idea of King Kong and not so much the movies King Kong is in. Like I, the original King Kong is undoubtedly like a, a, a launching point for visual effects but it is not a, it's not a great rewatch. Like it is, <laughs> it does have some very, very problematic elements. Um, the sequel, Son of Kong came out the same year as one of the most traumatizing things you've ever seen in your life. I don't know how many people out there have seen Son of Kong, but that movie is an hour and nine minutes long. You meet the Son of Kong at like the 45 minute mark and he drowns to death at the 55 minute mark, saving his father's murderer. And you do not see him again. He sinks to the bottom of the ocean, this adorable King Kong. That came out nine months after King Kong. So that was like, <laughs> that was like the big follow-up to this hit movie. And then after that, I don't know, it was just the, re the 1976 remake I really enjoy, but I don't think a lot of people agree with me. Uh, Peter Jackson's remake is, I liked it a lot better rewatching it, but it is still extremely bloated. And then there's the stuff that people barely remember. There's, there's the original Godzilla versus King Kong, which I rewatched, which is actually a great time. Uh, and I am of the opinion that King Kong wins in that movie. I wrote that on the site and people got very mad at me. Um, what are you talking about? He totally wins in that movie. He totally wins I mean, in King Kong versus Godzilla. Okay, so this is, this is what happened. I'm, I'm going to spoil this like decades old movie. But here's yeah, it came out in 1962. I'm sorry if you've Here's what happens bus. at the end of that movie. Uh, King Kong tackles Godzilla into the ocean and only King Kong comes out. And then the movie ends. And then you're telling me that's ambiguous. 
He it's not ambiguous. Home. It's not only he sent him not. back into the ocean. He said, "Get yeah. out of here." Godzilla, also, Godzilla is still a villain by this point in the in, in his history. Like, it's not I like was, Godzilla I, is a heroic character. He is meant to be defeated. So that makes people really mad. I okay. <laughs> saying saying that that King Kong won in the original it makes people very upset. But I don't know, man. Uh, that's what the text is. And then there's the then there's the movies that nobody knows about. There's there's the other Toho King Kong where he fights Mecha Kong. Uh, I didn't even know there was a Mecha. I love King Kong. I didn't even know there was a Mecha Kong until this year when I watched that movie. Uh, he looks hilarious. <laughs> and, the, and it's funny the plot of that movie, the plot of King Kong Lives or King Kong Escapes, is like kind of similar to the plot of Godzilla vs Kong. Uh, so we can get into that later, but it's it's weird how much she borrowed from that like completely forgotten movie. But yeah, I, I feel like it's interesting because so many horror icons, I guess you would call King Kong a horror icon. He's a monster, have become like like transcended their own filmography. Like <laughs> I think like uh, people, you know, they buy King Kong shirts and they have King Kong posters, and it's like, do you really rewatch King Kong? Like King Kong Lives? Like <laughs> is that a movie you rewatch often? So it's interesting because again, I love King. I, these are Godzilla and Kong are two things that like got me into movies, especially Godzilla. Like they're a big reason why I love movies because I was obsessed with monster movies as a kid. But I only like like two King Kong movies, <laughs> and like and, and like the remakes I could take or leave. So it's one of those things where the iconic the 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 icon status of it is more about you know the idea of it than it is how often people watch these movies. Yeah, something you really have to sort of take you know, keep in mind with them is that their iconic status has now transcended their original intent. So, you know, King Kong, the original King Kong is very much a film about white fears about black people. Like that's what that film is about. And that's incredibly problematic and you have to kind of wrestle with it. And like, what is it doing? And the original Godzilla is about nuclear fears. It's from the only country ever to be hit with a nuclear bomb. And that film came out only less than came out less than 10 years after they were attacked came out nine years after the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and it's a film about a country wrestling with what it means to not only wrestle with atomic fallout and nuclear fallout from you know as manifested by Godzilla in that film but also you know what does it mean when someone comes up with a defense that is a bigger weapon and so it's really wrestling with these really big tough ideas less than 10 years later Godzilla is wrestling Kong and like he's also and less than 10 years I think like 12 years later maybe not even that he's now like a hero like this notion of like this these immutable characters is just not rooted in fact they changed drastically quickly and then you have to sort of go on the roller coaster that the films are on like so Toho realized after four films, I think it was like, they were like, okay, maybe Godzilla isn't a bad, isn't a bad guy anymore. Maybe he's a good guy. And he's always going to be fighting another monster. And the monster that he's fighting is the bad guy. And, you know, he'll t- maybe team up with other monsters to take down that, the bad monster. And it's fine for what it is. It's just, it's a very different thing than its original incarnation made by the same people. Like, Ishiro Honda, who directed 1954's Godzilla, went on to direct other Godzilla films that are not weighty um, by any stretch, or though he tried to inject some sort of subtext in them to his credit. But they're just, you have to sort of accept that these characters have changed. So I don't think they are sacrosanct in any regard. I think it's, they became icons and sort of once they are iconic, they become very mutable. 
Yeah, I knew that we had officially, humanity had officially lost the thread on Godzilla when in uh, King of the Monsters, they brought him back to life by dropping a nuclear bomb on him. And it was like, thank God humanity had that nuclear. Like, it was like they turned (laughs) the reason for this monster into like a plot point to bring him back to life. And I was just like, he was like originally a metaphor for the the horror of nuclear war. Yeah, exactly. And then decades later, they're like, I know how to bring him back to life. We'll nuke him. Like, thank God right. America had this nuke lying. Oh, that I would sit in the theater. Like, Although, opposite of what this thing is about. But, but to be fair, like, even in, oh gosh, which one was it? I think it's, it's not Invasion of Astro Monster. It's one of the 1960s Godzillas. Mm-hmm. But basically, a character near the end, like, they have to nuke the island. And the character is like, I don't know, nukes, man, who knows? Sometimes you need them. <laughs> and like, it's he's very ambivalent about it. And it's like, about wow. Nuclear war. Like, it's six, it's like your country, man. It was your country mm-hmm. that got nuked. And, and you're, even you're like atomic bombs, man. I don't know. I guess humanity has to wrestle with sometimes they're useful and sometimes they shouldn't be used. And I'm like, I guess that's threading the needle. <laughs> So, but yeah, like, yeah, these, although, you know, to your point about like these movies have lost the thread, I think it's worth pointing out that Toho, the original company behind Godzilla has kept making Godzilla movies and Mm -hmm. 2016 Shin Godzilla, which I think is great, is as a film wrestling with like, should we drop a nuke on Godzilla? Because Mm -hmm. they're like, we don't want to do that. And so I think Shin Godzilla actually like gets it. Whereas like Godzilla King of the Monsters, the 2019 version is... Mm, eh, no <laughs> no um and i think that kind of can is a good sort of transition point to sort of talk about this monster verse that we have um and yeah, so for, for those listening wonder where i'm silent i uh i saw bad trip does that count as a, as a king kong movie <laughs> well there is a scene with the gorilla that's very memorable <laughs> that's my question i'm excited for that movie oh, oh that man movie. It's so dumb and so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's I just Matt's headline literally sold me on watching it, and I was like, "Yep." I was like, "Sam would be appalled by me watching this juvenile humor," <laughs> but I'm laughing my ass off. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I I have seen like so my entire King Kong Godzilla knowledge is just uh, the Peter Jackson movie and then this monster verse. So that's yeah. all I got. Thank and you for your time. I, I will say, the, the, rewatching the Peter, we're talking about how like these movies you have to recommend some of it. It's I do like the Peter Jackson movie, but it's insane how little that movie reckons with like the problem. It was made in 2005, and Peter Jackson's just like, I'm just going to remake it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to question any. Like clearly, he, he he is like the King Kong obsessive. Like he owns the miniature King Kong, which is adorable. So he loves the movie, and he didn't, he wanted to just do his version. But it's crazy in a movie made that much later it's just like i'm still gonna make like these islanders like these scary natives and i'm just not gonna worry about them after like kong kills a bunch of them like the 76 version at least the aggressively bearded jeff bridges character is like after they leave the island he's like we should not have invaded that island like i can't believe like a bunch of white people just took that thing like like the 76 version reckons with the history of king kong more than peter jackson's king kong does which i thought was very well and especially once you hit 2005 i mean jackson is coming off the massive success of lord of the rings yeah. and he can do whatever he wants and no one is telling him no and that that <laughs> yeah. that becomes if you think it's bad in, in king in king kong wait till you see the lovely bones and what the consequences and the consequences of no one telling him hey pete this may be a bad idea <laughs> 
Well, and it's so fascinating because his original version of that in the 90s was very was like the mummy. Like if you watch the making mm-hmm. of documentary, like he all of his like all of the same art department heads and stuff who did Lord of the Rings were on his version of King Kong. And they said when the mummy came out, they were like, no, but seriously, did someone give them our script? Because it was very and I've read that script and it's very similar. It's, you know, the lead character is like an archaeologist and then, you know, he's uh you know, cocksure and, and all this stuff. No, I think he's a pilot. And then the, the woman is an archeologist. So, and then in 2005, he was like, no, 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 let's just do the film industry again. So they're just filmmakers we'll do that part. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It, I, I'll say Andy Serkis does a, like at the time I was like, wow, this is a really good performance as a, as an ape. And then he's like, I'll, I'll do it even better next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so you have this monster verse and I remember, I mean, Adam, you were you were in the room with me, I think, at the time when like we're in Comic Con, we're in Hall H, and Legendary is like one more thing, and they show like this this sort of teaser footage of all this devastation and like the and then it's like and then it's like in the shape of Godzilla and they're like Godzilla and the crowd goes wild because teaser culture, <laughs> and so and then like I don't know if they announced at the time that Gareth Edwards was directing it. I don't know if that was then or that came a little later. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, and then like they did the same thing with Kong Skull Island. They're like Skull Island. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God, this is amazing. And then at some point they're like, it's all connected. So they're just going to they're like, this is all the monster verse. And I I think this is all, you know, ultimately fallout from Avengers being a success and everyone like, we have to have our own cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. And what's weird, you know, going through this sort of monster verse thing is that they hired four, I think, directors that you could all qualify as up and coming. Like they had all established themselves with a smaller film that had caught on and found some acclaim. And so it seemed really promising. It's like Gareth Edwards will direct Godzilla and, and Jordan Vote Roberts will direct Kong Skull Island and Michael Doherty will direct, you know, Godzilla King of the Monsters and Adam Wingard will direct Godzilla versus Kong. And not this wasn't all announced at the same time, but every time they're like, it's this director, um, this up and coming white male director who like we really like his his stuff. And uh and they'd make this movie and the movie was, you know, I think of the four, I think Godzilla is the best, but even that one is deeply flawed in a lot of ways. And it's just sort of, so, you, you know, this build up to Godzilla versus Kong. It's like, technically, yes, this is a cinematic universe, but it's one where nothing really matters because the characters don't matter. And also because the characters don't matter and the plotting doesn't even really matter that much. Like, I could, I, I think I can say with confidence, like you can go into Godzilla versus Kong and not having seen any of the previous movies. Like you would not be lost. I, I think it's, it's fine if you're like, oh, I, Kyle Chan, why is Kyle Chandler in this? Well, he was the hero of the, of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, but now he just doesn't matter. Um, like yeah, I guess that would explain Kyle Chandler's presence, his minimal presence in Godzilla versus Kong, but I feel like overall, it's these films they want to have it both ways where they're connected, but also they stand alone and they kind of don't work either way. I will go to bat for Kong Skull Island. I really like Kong Skull Island just in the sense that um, there is a lot of, there is a lot of characters. There's a lot of, it's like an ensemble where like only 20% of the ensemble matters at all. So like there is that element of, oh, they didn't really build up their human characters, but I will say it's my favorite because it's barely connected to anything. Um, Jordan Fult Roberts did make an effort to like, create some monster images that we've like never seen before like i do really appreciate the like look of that film and how he just mm-hmm. was obviously trying to create 
an image that of these two icon of, of this one iconic monster that we've never seen before. And I did have a very interesting conversation with Jordan, but Rob, not to, not to like, we're not friends. We don't. You're going to name drop. Not, You're going to name drop your buddy, Jordan. Yeah. My buddy, Jordan. No, he literally like DM me. Cause I wrote a snarky tweet and was like, I honestly didn't really want the Tom Hiddleston free Larson characters like in the movie, but like, you need action leads. And he's like, I thought of it as a John C. Riley movie. And I do appreciate the attempt at an emotional story with John C. Riley being trapped on this island and like came friends with his World War II enemy and then like lived on the island and like came back to his family. There is like an attempt yeah. in Kong Skull Island to create this emotion. Like, I feel like with some of the other movies, it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, the, the human characters didn't even work, but like some of them don't even like attempt. They don't even, they're just like, we needed to cast a human in this movie, I guess. And then like, they have to be looking up at the monsters. So Kong Skull Island at least like attempts to be like some sort of story. I, it is kind of a, it is kind of weird that he like did use like Creedence Clearwater Revival. Like it's like, it's, are you asking, yeah, that's, like you're asking, like you're asking to be like, that's, it's like, it's almost a joke. Like, oh, well, like, and, and that's the, the vibe of he's like, of course he's going to use that song. And then he did. Right. Well, here's my issue, my main issue with Kanko which I agree. Like, I think it has some good visuals. I think John C. Riley is great. Uh, I do like that Vote Roberts kind of just up and admitted, like, I don't know why Brie Larson and my and Tom Hiddleston are in this movie. <laughs> like, I, they shouldn't be. They're great actors and great people, but I don't want them in my movie. Um, but my whole thing is like, it wants that apocalypse now Vietnam War thing, but it has no mm. reverence for the Vietnam War. It's like the Vietnam War is now so distant that we can just be like, yeah, Vietnam War. Yeah, yeah like the <laughs> trappings just, of the Vietnam War. Yeah, it's like Vietnam War as a stylistic choice. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. that's fucking gross. And yeah. so like that, that to me is true. what really sticks in my craw about Kong Skull Island, even though I think like it, it, it does right by Kong. I mean, I think Kong is a good character in it. In the same way that I think like, Gareth Edwards Godzilla like I think it completely face plants by killing off Brian Cranston at the end of the first act um because <laughs> twist yeah like so he's like he, it, it sets him up as the protagonist and then it's like no it's his son who's a protagonist and I'm like but his son is boring and has no yeah. like character arc and it's like doesn't matter everywhere he goes <laughs> monsters will show up and I'm like well that's yeah. weird but like even that film like I think has some really good visuals like I think the halo jump is a really good visual I think it has I think it genuinely cares about Godzilla um, as a character. I think it's, I, I think it cares about the Mudos as characters. Like, e like even though they exist to be defeated, like they actually have personality. And so I think that's a nice change. Um, you also have to accept, you also have to sort of, it wasn't fresh in the minds of audience, but the previous God, American Godzilla movie we got was 1998's Godzilla, which is just awful. It's, it's <laughs> a classic. Yeah. I can't stress enough how much I loved that movie when I was nine years old. Listen, I, but that soundtrack. Uh, I saw that the movie soundtrack. like twice in theaters. I rented from Blockbuster all the time. I was like, this is cinema. And <laughs> Roland Emmerich's I mean, cinema. I also I was like that for what, I think they marketed that movie really heavily on MTV because I yeah. was also super oh, into yeah. that movie. I thought it was, cool. I thought it was the coolest yeah. movie of all time. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't... Uh, hold up all <laughs> time but at the time at the time i was super into it but yeah listen it's still fun to see hank azaria as a cameraman get stepped on by godzilla absolutely <laughs> even even matthew broderick's hat in that movie is stupid um <laughs> yeah, every broderick creative decision in that movie makes it so, yeah. so i get it, that they're like sort of like people were kind of where it's like uh oh another american godzilla film and i think sort of 
trying to overcome those expectations. I think Gareth Edwards did like a good job um, trying to sort of give his film a personality to the point where it, it, it received backlash for having a personality. <laughs> like, yeah. I think the characters fall flat, but he was like, I am going to make you wait for half this movie to even show you Godzilla. And then I'm going to show you a flash of Godzilla and then I'm going to cut away. And I'm like, that is such a great flex. And people were so angry and they're like, yeah. we will never, and legendary is like, we will never make this mistake again. We promise you, you will show the monster as much as humanly possible. Um, I like know, the I iconography. The, the halo, the halo jump trailer is one of my favorite trailers of all time. Like I, I remember, it, I think it was literally just the halo, the halo jump scene intercut with like some noises and things and it like flash of Godzilla. I, I honestly wasn't that excited for this movie, but that is like the, one of the most hypest trailers of all time. And it does kind of play with the idea that you're not going to see Godzilla a lot, which like you said, is such an interesting way to start the movie. The problem is he got rid of Brian Cranston and focused on Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is just <laughs> like a block of wood for like the first half hour of the movie. And he's also the, the decision to cast uh, Elizabeth Olsen, who had just played his sister as his <laughs> well, wife. Well, no, no, not in general, no had been well had cast as him she hadn't just played his as his, his sister she was about to play his sister either way it was on <laughs> it was yeah no i mean you can't it, you can't it was completely on. leave it at the door uh, um so yeah it's just yeah it, it, the decision to not show godzilla for that long is was very interesting it's just what he did show us <laughs> well I, but i like the idea of using iconography to show godzilla because you're seeing the point of view of the people on the ground mm. because it's told from their point of view so you're just getting flashes of like a silhouette against a cloud or something or a foot or a tail uh which i think is yeah. much more terrifying and menacing because once you get to king of the monsters it's like i, I don't care but also i still can't see because it's too damn dark yeah you know King of the Monsters, I, I, that's another movie. Again, I am someone who has been burned all four times uh, by the trailer. I, I, I kept coming I kept coming back. I remember the trailer for King of the Monsters. I was like, how could this be bad? Uh, and then I saw it in theaters and it's just, like you said, somehow it was clear in the shot and impossible to see at the same time. I, mm -hmm. the, I, the biggest thing with these monster movies is like, at least just let me see what's going on. And I, <laughs> Godzilla vs. Kong does succeed in letting me see what's going on, but the King of the Monsters, I was just like, this should look so cool, and it's just like a, a jumbled mess. So that, it is, that, yeah, I do agree that if you can't show it, do it in a cool way. And Godzilla did do it in a very cool way. Yeah, I just feel like you know, the more, the longer the, the sort of MonsterVerse went on, the less impactful, and it's sort of like everyone just kind of trudging to the end of just sort of like, well, we don't know what this thing was supposed to be and whatever it was is now changed. And, you know, we have this IP and so we have to, you know, keep going forward. And we announced a Godzilla versus Kong and it has to happen, I guess. And, you know, you get to, you know, and I was, I was, ex I went to the set of all three new Godzilla movies. And then, so, you know, speaking of that Godzilla trailer, I was so hyped to tell people, like they showed us the previs of the Halo jump. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited yeah. to tell people about this. And it's in the it's first so cool. trailer and it doesn't matter that I went to the set at all. Um, not that I, I mean, I was happy to do it, but you know, I, it's just a weird thing. Um, you know, I went to the set all, for all three and like everyone means well, everyone was really excited, you know, public facing in that way. But, you know, no, no, sh you know, not to sort of slam Michael Doherty or anything. I think Trick or Treat is, you know, a pretty beloved horror film, but. Ampus. 
and I haven't seen Krampus, but you know, it's, you should see, you should see, I should see Krampus. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is like, it's not like it's, here's the thing. None of these directors could be like, well, who is this, this, you know, this guy, they had done yeah. something to establish and get their foot in the door in a way that was like, okay, this is the next level. And I, I can't help but wonder though, if it was sort of, they wanted someone who would get you some little name of attention and like someone who said that, you know, showed that they had a vision, but not, didn't never had so much clout that they couldn't just sort of, you know, steamroll over them when, you know, if need be. And whatever it was, whoever is sort of the visionary of this, you know, monster verse, you know, by the time you get to Godzilla versus Kong and it's just like, why, what are we even doing here? And it just, it feels like such a cynical film, I think in a way that like, yes, all blockbusters are designed to make money, but like it, when you have just such clear disregard for like human characters or plot that are a plot that makes sense. And it's like, screw you, you're here just to see monsters punch each other. I'm like, well, yeah, I am. But that's like 25 minutes of a two hour film. So what are we doing here for the other 90 minutes? And I don't know, it's a frustrating film. It's almost like King of the Monsters is the Iron Man 2 of the MonsterVerse, except they only had one movie left. So they were like, oops, well, we got to do the thing now. So I guess, like we've done a terrible job of interconnecting whatever mythology connects these two beings. But then it also, I mean, I don't know. I kind of hated Godzilla versus Kong just because it has such contempt for like plot and characters. Like it kind of feels like Adam Weingrid was like, you're here for the fights anyway. So I'm just going to cut all the plot stuff to the bare bones, mm -hmm. but there's so much of the mythology stuff that it becomes nonsensical. Um, I'm just like, wait, why are we here? And who is that? And what is the reason for both Skarsgård and Hall to be in this movie? Cause they both serve the same purpose from a yeah. plot perspective. And there's clearly no effort being made to make them fully fledged characters. There's really only one character that seems like Wingard, care Wingard cares about, uh, which is the little girl who has a connection to Kong, which I think is an interesting idea and it's threaded okay. It has one really nice scene, but then it kind of goes away. Like it doesn't really follow through. Um, and again, like the fights are spectacular. I really love the fights in this movie, but the rest of it just kind of drew drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really hard for me to just kind of ignore stuff that's really bad. If like it has to be, the other stuff has to be so good that I don't really care. And I did care. So I was just kind of like, ah, I'm not, I'm not into this. I, I, I'd say that the, say, I don't know if we're getting into Godzilla versus Kong now. We are, we are. We have moved into Godzilla okay. versus Kong. This the people have transition. waited long enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I guess I should preface this by saying that I did see it in a theater um, and it is the biggest, loudest movie of all time. So like when I <laughs> I hadn't seen a movie in theaters since Bloodshot in 2000 whenever the hell uh so i walked out of that theater like that was citizen king like i just watched like a, <laughs> a new entry like i i fully like bought in just to the idea of like i'm gonna see this big loud ridiculous film and then in talking with people about it i was like yeah they didn't do a good job like threading in any sort of plot and like it's kind of been a roller coaster so like i settled in on okay it's way worse than i remember it being and I've been thinking about it a lot. I think the only saving grace of it is for me is um, it does work really hard to like make Godzilla, especially Kong, like a character. Like I, I think the the facial, like the work on their face is amazing. The mocap performances, I have to look up the actors' names, but are both like very um, 
uh, endearing. Like I was like, I, I will say that like, while I did not care about a single human character, I did care a lot about King Kong. I was, I, I, I like the, the way they made him sort of like this big, uh, like, I kind of felt like he was just like an idiot in way over his head. Like whenever he was fighting Godzilla, like I feel like people are like, how are they going to have King Kong and Godzilla fight? And I feel like King Kong just felt like he was like, not having a good time the whole movie which i really enjoyed and it just i don't know it, it the i will just say let me go home it, damn it yeah just like he was like home. so like he was like this sucks like i should not i'm not having a good time at all which i really enjoyed and i, I will say that all criticisms against the movie are extremely valid because the plot is bananagrams and like does not make any sense and does not try to make any sense but the saving grace for me is like it almost feels like it's the purest version of the people don't matter because the people don't matter because the monsters are the main characters. Like, I think it was, I don't, I have no like knowledge or inside sources, but it almost feels like if Adam Weingart had his chance, he like, I would make it without the people. Like he was like, he would make like a destroy all monsters type movie where like Godzilla and Kong are the characters. And you kind of get that sense. It is strange. The movie is like an hour and 15 minutes long. Like it's very strange how fast it breezes through a plot that goes to the center of the earth and returns from the center of the earth. Like, <laughs> like, there, it, like you said, it, it, it does feel like it's both cutting the fat, but explaining so much of the fat at the same time. So there is those, those things, but I will say that I, my one big takeaway, and I think I'm more positive on it than most people, I'm like in the middle on it, is that if you look at it as like Kong's character arc, it works kind of. It does, no, I would actually agree with you that it, it does kind of work, but they've cut it to the bone so much. Yeah. I, yeah. So I think the central idea of a film that wasn't cut to the bone is the importance of family. Because if you look at like all the central characters, they've all kind of lost someone. Like um, Madison's lost her mom. Um, Alexander Skarsgård has lost his brother. Um, Gia, the little girl, has lost her parents. Um, the... Uh, what's his face and then you know the, there's the one the one sort of intact family or no brian tyree henry his character's lost his wife but the one sort of intact family is demian bashir and isa gonzalez their, their father and daughter and they sort of take it for granted and meanwhile kong like has no family like that sort of hit like and that was established in kong skull island like like that he is alone and he kind of longs for family so i think that was sort of the idea like look at how like sort of we need like kong is about finding a place where he belongs and sort of regaining that notion of family. But the film has been so cut down to the point where um, if you, if you read my set visit, you might pick, you might've read the note yeah, that Shunan Guri, uh, his character, he's one of the villains in the film. And if you look at the IMDb, his last character's last name is Sarazawa. And that's the <laughs> same last name as Ken Watanabe's character in Godzilla and Godzilla King I of Monsters. I had no idea until I read your. Stuff. I don't. I don't know if the movie. The movie never. The movie never. Never. They cut, oh, did they cut it completely? They cut it completely. I had no, I had no except idea. Except for the last, if, unless you were to pick up like reading the credits. Yeah. Like the last name. Like wait, that name is familiar because it's actually it's a it's an homage to the 1954 Godzilla, the the mad not the mad scientist, just the scientist who comes up with the oxygen He's destroyer. A normal scientist. He's a normal scientist. Well, no, it's funny because the same actor did play a mad scientist later in the Godzilla <laughs> movies, uh, in Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Um, but he, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like this, like again, if you if you had the idea about families being sort of ripped apart, 
than this villain saying like, I've lost my father. That means something. But the film has been so thoroughly cut down and cut out of that, that it's all plot. It never breathes. Like, um, never stops. Never stops. Alexander Skarsgård is a disgraced scientist. <laughs> like he says, I basically he's like everyone has. I've been laughed out of academia, but I still work at this call at Denham College or university or whatever. And everyone is makes a mockery of me, and you know I've I've lost everything, and my brother's dead. And it's like no, I be, and, and Damien Bashir comes to you and is like no, I believe you, and you're going to lead an expedition to the Hollow Earth. Which I've already found, by the way, which is, so already, which yeah, is such a was, weird thing. That was a big sticking I've, point for me. It's like, it was like, I'm, my, my wild theories about the hollow earth, but like it, it just, in the universe of this movie, it just exists. Like It just found. exists. He's already found it. It's in Antarctica. They have a tube there. And the only problem is they need this, they need a special ship, which they've already built, but <laughs> they have to bring along it Alexander Skarsgård. To do, yeah, did not test. And, they, but again, Alexander Skarsgård has to come along to do something. I, I'm still not exactly clear what his role is, other than being like, I know about the hollow earth. They get to the hollow earth, and he, and it, and the film doesn't even bother being like, oh my God, the realization of my life's work. It just breezes yeah. past it. And it's it like, ooh, do anything. Ooh, Kong's going to rip off an, a monster's head. And it's like, all right. <laughs> So yeah, it's spoilers, yeah. spoilers, by the way, we have, we've entered spoiler territory. Yeah. I mean, we, we did sort of reveal, I mean, I think it's been revealed yeah. that he went into, they go into the hollow earth, but yeah, let's, let's, well, but to go deeper chat. into it, yeah. not only is this his life's work and he goes in there, but it's not even like, oh, we need him to open this valve or we need him. Like he knows about that thing. He's just like, oh, cool. Oh shit. Gotta go. <laughs> this is the, what I wrote that, that book about. Like it, it's funny because yeah. they, they kind of don't need like. It'd be like inviting Michael Crichton to dress part. Yeah. Like, <laughs> be like, why? What have you done here? So you can point out the things and be like, "Told you that'd be there," and then that ah. thing like kills you. Like, he's no help at all. Yeah. I mean, I like Alexander Skarsgård. Guys, he's I like fine. He's I like, think he's a little being a little about why he's in this silly. movie too. I think it's weird because when he's introduced, he's do he he's putting on the same exact performance as Brian Tyree Henry. Like they're playing the same mm -hmm. character for like a scene. But then, yeah. like Alexander Skarsgård kind of drops the nutty thing, and yeah. then he's just like a man. Like he's like, <laughs> I, I, the, be the best way I can describe his character is like he is a man who is present, like and is played by Alexander Skarsgård. Like Brian Tyree Henry, at least, like you know, keeps up the wacky bit. He's just sort of like I, because even like when they're in the Hollow Earth, he stops even hinting at being a scientist he suddenly becomes like a guy who's like fire the missiles or whatever the hell yeah and, and he can like, and suddenly he's a scientist don't you have like tenure at a university like what, what is this like he's like throwing bombs and stuff well like, also like apex cybernetics who can invent anything apparently and have come on the scene three years ago they invented the special ship that can like invert gravity or work with gravity inversion seems like a complicated piece of technology and their pilot gets squished and and gets eaten by monster owls, I guess is what they are. I don't know what they are. Um, and Alexander Skarsgård is like, well, I guess it's time for me to fly the ship. And I'm like, this seems <laughs> difficult. I don't even know how to technically drive a Tesla. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's different driving an electric car, but apparently you can just hop in the Apex ship and it's fine. It's called the Heave. It's like <laughs> a go cart. <laughs> it's like a, a go-kart anyone can yeah, figure it out a steering wheel and a pedal i also <laughs> yeah. and also since we're now in full spoiler territory i also like the fact that 
Aza Gonzalez comes along to be like, I'm going to make sure I get the energy source. And she gets the energy source, sends it back to her dad so they can power Mechagodzilla. And then she didn't, and then she's like, let's get out of here. And then Kong is in their way. And rather than, (laughs) no, but before getting crushed, yes, before being like, hey, let's just get out of the way because we're, we can move in three dimensions, you know, we can move around. They're like, shoot it, Kong. To get him out of the way, like it's like honking at him, like a historically bad idea. Yeah, and, and then and then and then he like grabs the ship and just squishes him, and like you know, Damien Bashir never knows that his daughter is dead at the yeah, center she's of another, the earth. I mean, it's it's everyone, but she's another one that feels especially like like we needed another actor, so they like like wrote a role who's kind of evil, I guess. Like I don't know, she's just sort of there and is kind of mean to Alexander Skarsgård, deservedly so, because he's such a he's such a goober. <laughs> like, and then they, yeah, she does like a vaguely evil thing and then dies. Like it's and and that could have been served by anyone. So like it, again, my, one of my biggest problems with MonsterVerse is how they hire these super talented actors to do nothing. So like a, a role like that, <laughs> I don't know, you could have saved yeah, some and, money. And, you and here, here's dinner. the thing. Like I've heard, like the argument is that the reason they hired these like talented actors is because like you get, you sort of get their cred to your, you mm-hmm. add their cred to their, your movie. And also like, obviously the monsters aren't going to do junkets. So you get the actors to do the junkets. <laughs> sure, but like yeah. at that point, it's like, why not just hire a bunch of comedians? Like have like Seth Rogen or like Will Ferrell star in these movies. Cause they're going to be great on the junket scene. Like they're going to be really yeah. funny and they're going to like improv stuff and they're going to make your movie super entertaining. I and like, Seth Rogen in the Skarsgård role would have been amazing because <laughs> at least he would have had fun with it. Like hiring Alexander Skarsgård to just be like the goofy guy is like, it's fun to see. He's doing an okay job, but he doesn't really serve a role. So they might as well have like made him the comic book. Yeah, why not, just, why not just get Michael Sarah in there and just be like, all right, Michael. <laughs> as a spoop scientist going to the center of the earth. Yeah, that would There's something deeply cynical about the casting and looking back on all of it it kind of, it just seems like a math problem like they were like all right alexander skarsgård <laughs> travels to these seven countries and makes this much money in each country adding rebecca hall gets these additional countries adding asa gonzalez gets these additional countries because you look at tom hillson brie larson and samuel l jackson you look at that comp and you're like oh okay we get you know x amount of territories around mm-hmm. the globe will give us X amount of dollars. So you have to, and that explains why Jordan Vote Roberts was forced to just like hire two pretty white people that everyone is familiar with and we'll just go and see. Cause it's gonna be, you know, subtitled across the globe anyway. So it just kind of feels like Alexander Skarsgård made good on the math problem and yeah. it was just kind of like fit him in somewhere just give well, him and, and that's the whole thing these whole movies just feel like like solving a math problem. Like, okay, we're legendary studios. We have this IP. So we need to get this director who can work at this price point and has this yeah. amount of cred, but is not so, does not have as much clout so that we can sort of like be like, no, you're doing it our way, but they won't push back because we, they don't want to torpedo their career. Then we'll get these actors who are good in these territories. And then we'll just sell a bunch of spectacle and then we'll cut a really good trailer. We'll set, you know, le, you know Godzilla, King of the Monsters to um, Claire de Lune. And people think it's really classy and, and, and awesome. And then, you know, you know, it doesn't matter if the film's good because, you know, we're just moving along. And honestly, at that point, it's like Legendary's business model makes way more sense if you just like, just make Detective Pikachu movies, man. Because at least Pikachu is like, <laughs> people are already fan Like you got way more Pikachu fans right now and like, just do that. But yeah, I just feel like these films were just such a bust in terms of what they could have been. I feel like you could still, here's the thing. You could still have had, all of the 
monster CGI bashing. If you had just been like, we're going to get a real, we're going to get an A-list actor and we're going to be like, this is going to be your franchise. Like technically you will be second fiddle to, you know, Godzilla and Kong, but you are going to be the heart of these movies. You're going to be talking, taking, like the audience is going to care about you. We need to really make sure that this character lands and that people are invested and like sort of in the way that's like, I guess, you know, to use a, an example, like imagine Pirates of the Caribbean, but you don't have the Jack Sparrow character. Like you yeah. need that sort of like, well, it's what we have skeletons, you know, fighting and things like that. <laughs> what, what more do you want? And it's like, well, you need a strong central character that people will root for. And these movies never bothered with that. You're right. This franchise should have hired Johnny Depp. I see your point. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do Actually, find it kind of... Uh, I do kind of find it fascinating and like a morbid, not morbid, but like how they just never figured it out. Like all, all these, all four movies tried to integrate people in a different way. And like, they just couldn't, like something about putting people in a movie with monsters was like, they couldn't crack the code. They couldn't crack the code. They just couldn't figure it out. And it's kind of weird because again, all four times I watched the trailer and was like, this is the one that's going to be good. And all four times, the problem was the same. Like they yeah. just could not figure out a coherent plot that also featured a big monster. Like they just could that, they, I feel like there was like a, like a, a meetings across one of us where like, how could we possibly write a script? There's a big monster in it. Like the, they, they just never got over that hump. And that's kind of fascinating to me how, like, I don't know, like people figured out how to make superhero movies that are also emotional. People I guess- They figured out how to make horror movies that are also emotional. Yeah. Like there's I, just something about it being Godzilla and Kong. They're just like, but how do we do a story with it? <laughs> right. Like remember I, when Charles Dance was there and it was like, oh, what if he's the older version of Tom Hiddleston? That'd be cool. And they're like, oh, we didn't think about that. So no, no that's not, no, that's not it just, at all. But well, okay, well, let's have Charles Dance at the end. And he's teased as like, oh, maybe he's the big oh, human yeah, villain just in the next one. It's like, no, we're not going to bring him back. Don't worry about it. Even have like Bradley Whitford in there. Bradley Whitford's funny. And it's like, yeah, we don't really have yeah. anything for him to do. We're basically going to have him do like a version of Rick from Rick and Morty. And like, that's going to be what we It's do. such a disadvantage though, because you would think over four movies, the hardest thing is you have to set a foundation and get people to care about a character. And once you've done that hard work in the sequels, you can give them less to do because the audience yeah. is already invested. Right. They bring back Ken Watanabe and that's it. And, you know, from my recollection of King of the Monsters, he's not really in that movie very much no they bring back they bring back sally hawkins and ken watanabe and david Strathairn. and oh my god no her death is hilarious because it's so quick and then the next thing you see is a picture of sally hawkins and it just says deceased underneath it it's like it's like they noticed in post-production that you barely noticed she died so like oh, i guess we need to put in that shot where it's like sally hawkins confirmed dead confirmed it's, dead. it's the funniest yeah she's done now i mean but it is kind of crazy how much these these movies invested like juliette binoche oscar winner juliette binoche is in godzilla and gets ganked in the prologue <laughs> and like that's and she's done and in the and, press she was like that was bullshit right <laughs> like she was very publicly like yeah i didn't love that they came to me and they're like we have this role for you and look I, i'm not again like if actors want to get paid you know for for whatever that's fine always support the paychecks i always support the paychecks whatever you know get paid um but i just feel like there was an opportunity to just sort of find a, a through line through these films. And I feel like legendary is like, well, we don't really want to make an actor the centerpiece of these movies. We want to make our IP the center of the movie. And then, but then they ran into the problem, which is that Godzilla and Kong are nonverbal characters and they smash things. 
and that really limits your options in terms of how, well, then how do you drive the action forward? And rather than just saying, let's invest in one, just one good human character, they're like, we'll keep trying different human characters each time and then discard them with the following film. Although just, just that, that does make, remind me of like my one positive sticking point in Godzilla vs. Kong is I, I loved how they did both Kong and Godzilla's faces. I think there's a lot of emotion at play there on the faces. Like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, they did their best to make them that they, they finally said, screw it. These are the main characters. And like you said, they don't talk. So they were like, we're going to try, we're going to try our best to tell a story between these two with just their faces. And it's like mostly successful. Like I, not a lot is successful in this movie, but I do, there's a lot of moments. And like, again, I saw it in theater. So I wanted to like, pick out specific moments. So I'm waiting for it to drop on HBO Max. But I think there are like a lot of like <laughs> interactions between these two. That is kind of an interesting story. I think they're like, I, I think you said in your review, there's going to be like a 25 minute version of this movie that people are going to enjoy more. And it's like, I think that like, if you just like did the facial dialogue between the two monsters, there is a, there is a story there. It's like, I, I don't know. I, that's the saving grace of this movie for me is how much effort they put into making the two and again that's probably a cynical thing they're probably like no these are the things that are selling the movie so we're going to tell a story about that but that to me was the emotional saving grace of this movie and i i mean i hope I'm no i think I, that though like, i think though those sort of those facial expressions and the vfx work should have been sort of the icing on the cake and the problem is that it's yeah. it's, it's all icing it's and, the cake. It is. It is the full cake and the icing and the human like barely sprinkled on. Yeah, and so I just feel like you know. So by the time you get to the the, the big finale, which I, I knew was coming, and I think everyone knew was coming. Like, I mean, I went to the set in 2019. They're like, "Hey, yeah. here's this big skull hooked up to a bunch of wires." Um, Maybe don't tell anyone why. <laughs> I saw a picture of a toy in like 2019. Like I I wish I didn't know, but like. I think Warner Brothers did a pretty terrible job. <laughs> I mean, they didn't, you know, I was kind of surprised they didn't bother to include it in any of the trailers. Like, cause I'm like, you, mm. it's so obvious that like they're going to team up and mm. the last major Toho character you haven't used is Mechagodzilla. And then Mechagodzilla shows up and he can be defeated by pouring whiskey on a keyboard, I guess. And like, <laughs> it's, it's just, I don't, I feel like it's for, for this climactic battle. I, by that point, I was just like, you're going through the motions. And, you know, Mechagodzilla showing up is sort of in a weird way, the epitome of these movies, which is like, it's just the Chris Evans meme of like, I understood that reference. And it's like, yeah, if you've never, even if you've never seen, you know, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, you know who Mechagodzilla is. And now, I will he's, say and now he's here. Both my favorite and possibly the worst part of this movie is Julian Dennison, is Brian Tyranny saying, that's Robot Godzilla. And Julian Dennison saying, no, that's Mecha Godzilla. And it's like, why would you, in that moment, why would you say that? Robo Godzilla is completely accurate. You're just, you're just correcting him from a franchise that you're a part of and being like, no, 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 that's the character, Mecha Godzilla. And I think that is like the epitome of like, like you said, like there's no reason for him to say that. Nothing yeah. about this thing suggests its name is Mechagodzilla, but that's what's supposed to be on, you know, the toys. So like somebody has to say, no, 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 that's Mechagodzilla. And it's just like, I think that is where I, you see like straight through the curtain and mm -hmm. you see like the, the studio puppet strings happening. Cause it's just like, I don't know. It's, I guess that's like you trying to hit the broadest possible audience possible. Like the one person who is not aware of the name Mechagodzilla, it's like, well, just say it. 
just have someone say it and then like I mean, say it as if they're correcting someone that to me was like yeah i, in I a weird, see i see the strings at play you know at least in a weird way like just show me the strings and don't have like you know Damien Bashir <laughs> yeah. being like we call it the x113 or around these parts mecha godzilla Again, you know that, that would be I mean, better than what, than what it would be yeah. better all right <laughs> So I should just, we're saying I should have written Godzilla give versus Matt, millions and millions <laughs> Give me, give me that Max Borenstein money. No, to I finally agree hire Johnny. I think <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it would have been better as just a full on animated Godzilla and Kong movie. You don't need the human characters. I, you know, yeah. and as a comparison point, I look at something like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. The apes are not talking yet. They're communicating with sign language. Um, I think there's like a Caesar talks like a little bit, but not much in that movie. In Dawn, he only talks at the very end. Oh, I thought that was at the end of Rise that he talks. No, at Dawn, he at the end of Dawn, he goes, Caesar is home. And okay, he... okay. But even then, like you have these emotional connections to these characters. So I'm saying you don't need, you don't need Godzilla and Kong to talk to each other. You can do it all through animation. But even with those apes movies, there were human characters, but they didn't, they didn't carry over from film to film, but there was effort made to make them memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Jason Clark had like an arc. Uh, I, I think it's less successful in the first movie, but that's before Matt Reeves comes in and kind of knows what he's doing. Um, and in the first movie, you're you're using the humans at the, as the protagonists and slowly they fade back to yeah, the background, to the, the yeah. supporting characters. Um, but I think that would that's an opportunity missed. And I would not be surprised to hear from Adam Wingard that like that's maybe what he wanted to do at the beginning. Um, or maybe a focus of his, but you know, as you said, you need people to sell the junkets. But I think the movie would have been far more successful just as an entertaining watch if you're just watching Godzilla and Kong go through the exact same plot motions, but you remove all of the human elements. You don't see any yeah. of the behind the scenes. So you're living it through their eyes of like, you know, you feel trapped when Godzilla's on this boat. You're not inside the, you know, uh the ship where they're talking about like what are we going to do with kong and we should take him out of restraints blah 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 yeah we don't know ship terminology no and <laughs> sorry, of course you know, if you came here for that and then just add johnny depp wherever you can just a little johnny depp on his shoulder johnny, johnny depp is mega godzilla <laughs> just shows up he's covered in scarves and shitty tattoos <laughs> it's like well this sucks <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, I just I feel like Godzilla versus Kong is just sort of this you know this missed opportunity, and this really the whole monster verse because again these characters are iconic. It just depends on how you use them, and I think at this point the answer is give Godzilla back to Toho, and I don't know what's going to happen with Kong. Um, but I I will say that as a movie it's a pretty big failure, but I do think I'm going to watch Godzilla versus Kong like a lot. Like it is such an absurdly easy movie to watch. You do not have to pay attention. You need to look up, see Godzilla and Kong beating each other up in this like crazy neon city, and you're just like, hell yeah! I mean, <laughs> I it basically is like a it basically is a screensaver. It's like you can just yeah. like be on your just phone cool and just like let shit happen in the background. Like, I'm going to watch it several times on HBO Max, and I'm barely going to pay attention. And it's going to be <laughs> I'm going to watch it like. In the time it would take me to rewatch the Snyder Cut, I'm gonna watch it like three times and have a great time every time. So yeah, in terms of just like like, it is the purest version of just turn your brain off and have a good time, which I guess there is room for that in the world. But like, it, it is baffling how much they did not even like attempt. I, 
I think Adam, you said this, it's like with every success, with every monster first movie, they tried less and less and less to the point where like Godzilla versus Kong was the natural end point where it's just like vomiting neon and CGI onto you and being like, this is sick. And it is sick. It's awesome. But it's, it's barely a movie. <laughs> yeah. It goes from the like extremely naturalistic palette of Gareth Edwards Godzilla to just like, fuck it, neon everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, I'm like a just sucker. I admit, cool. I completely yeah. admit that like that to me is like, it looks cool there's no other way to get around the fact look cool. that it looks yeah. super cool and like i i would like to see it again in the theater i don't know if it will but it's it's just very cool looking it's loud uh not junk his name is not junkie xl anymore his name is tom um, holkenberg tom holkenberg junkie xl is much easier to remember uh his score is is great it's very loud i don't i yeah. can't even tell you if it's great but it's very loud it used a big drum he used a very big drum we at choir.com are supporters of the big drum and yeah, it's just an overwhelmingly like big movie. And I think that that, that is what a lot of people are going to respond to, obviously. It's just anyone who came for any sort of protein is going to go away disappointed. Yeah, it's it's pure sugar, but in a way that kind of at least made me feel kind of ill afterwards. <laughs> um, all right, well, if that's it on Godzilla vs. Kong. Um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah i mean if you're here's the thing we're so we're recording this on tuesday it hits hbo max on wednesday and if you're like i'm so excited but first i want to hear what these guys think well we've we've got some bad news um but um still watch the film you know and have your own opinion on it and a lot of people a, a lot of people seem to have liked it as well like i the, the reviews that dropped yesterday were were pretty positive i guess there were positive reviews i don't know um i liked it i liked it I liked it. It's just it. Yeah. It's also it's on it's, HBO it, Max. It sort of just reminds me of like you know the potential of what a new MonsterVerse could be mm-hmm. versus what we got is disappointing. But right. like as just like a blah, who's like a big thing. Like okay, I had a good time. You'll have a good time. Everyone will have a good time. It's just what could have been is kind of disappointing. Yeah. And um, you know, again, it's on HBO Max. So like the the, the barrier yeah. to entry here is nothing. If you have yeah. HBO Max, just pop it on. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, all right. So with that, let's move into reader's hot takes. And this is a fun one. Uh, we have one new one this week. As always, if you want to have your hot takes read on the air, just leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, just letting us know what you think about the show. Um, and so the, the uh, commentator here is Disco Spider 7. And Disco Spider says, my hot take is that Adam Sandler comedies are good, actually. Too many comedies, if they get made these days, don't have enough jokes. You can always count on a Sandler movie to have a high joke per minute rate. The jokes can induce groans, eye rolls, or cringes, but they are there, and when they land, they land big. See John Turturro in Ridiculous Six calling baseball Sticky McSchnickigans. I love that he always has a good time with his friends, and it's nice that he brings in his family members too, and I appreciate that Sandler has never once spoken out about PC woke or cancel culture. There's plenty of offensive stuff in his past movies, but he seems to learn and evolve without complaint or patting himself on the back with a few exceptions that are most more boring than bad. For example, grown ups, pixels, Sandler comedies are a really fun time, especially after some alcohol or other substances. I say, if you can't handle Sandler at his Jack and Jill, you don't deserve him at his uncut gems. Um, thank you for the show and the work that goes into it. Hope you do a Sandler retrospective someday. That would be fun. That this is a lot. Now, if here, only to make Matt watch Blended and Jack and Jill. 
So I will say Jack and Jill kind of redeems itself for no other reason than the, the Dunkachino scene. <laughs> yeah, the exist, to live in a world without the Dunkachino scene wouldn't be worth it. So I am, I, I am happy we live in the timeline where that exists. Yeah. Um, I guess it kind of depends on like your definition of jokes, I guess. I guess. Like, <laughs> Should jokes like, be funny? <laughs> it does. It does have like, they usually have a high rate of like Adam Sandler doing a silly voice and like saying a word that doesn't exist. So like, there is a Adam Sandler movies are thought of as Adam Sandler movies because it's like specifically his humor and his humor isn't just like clever wordplay like he's not in an airplane or anything it's just like him being like it's like saying a word (laughs) exactly so like yeah there's there is a high and if that you think that's funny then like yes you're gonna love those movies I I feel like I feel like what I do like about Adam Sandler is he has built an empire based on that specifically so like respect to the man respect to the to that brand of comedy that people clearly love it's just i don't know i I don't think we need to pretend that that's like yeah uh, high like hard to do (laughs) here's the thing i actually the thing i i kind of miss about adam sandler and that he's moved away from to sort of do these kind of like i just want to make movies with my buddies and like we'll just kind of phone it in like whatever (laughs) is if you look at stuff like Billy Madison and, and Happy Gilmore, is that I think those films kind of succeed because they're willing to be very weird and yeah. like make these sort of broad swing kind of like jokes that like you would now kind of find in, I guess, sort of like Lonely Island stuff. Like just this sort of like, yeah. like this kind of like, like sort of like in, in Billy Madison, there's this scene where like L, everyone's coming together with the person they love and Chris Farley comes together with an imaginary penguin <laughs> and it's just like, just not explained. It just happens. And yeah. it's like, this is great. Or in um, uh, Happy Gilmore, where I think, I think the golfer, I don't know who the golfer is. I think it's Arnold Palmer. It could be someone else, but basically he keeps showing up and like shaking his oh, head. Like shaking his head. <laughs> I think Happy Gilmore holds up. I, I, I haven't watched it in a while. So like, don't hold me to this but i think that movie actually holds up pretty well like i that movie is billy madison less so i it, that that is like peak just like adam sandler doing his thing but i think uh, happy gilmore was like funny at the time and it was still funny and it's like you said it's just like such a weird movie and like stuff happens it's like not magic realism but it's like obviously not doesn't exist of this earth like weird it's borderline stuff absurdist comedy yeah it's, it's yeah. borderline I, like I, and it's willing to go for it so like you know like there's the the even like like the romantic scene where like they're skating to endless love and then it cuts to like the guy who works at the The skating rink lip syncing along to it and it's just like there's something sort of gleeful in that and now and i feel like as his career has gone on his comedies became a little more like really mean spirited like they they're sort of like taking shots at people um in a way that i feel doesn't really work but also still wanting that kind of schmaltzy quotient um and so i don't know i maybe i should i don't know if i i I can't tell you listener that i'm really going to watch ridiculous six i just can't make that promise to you but i do think like sandler is also like a genuinely good actor when he wants to be in the way that like not just uncut gems but i thought uh the meyerowitz uh stories um Mm -hmm. was was great he was great in that so you know it's just it, it depends i like adam sandler i'm happy he's so successful and like 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 you said it's just sort of I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like Adam Sandler has a perfect filmography. <laughs> but <laughs> I do sit respect, here and pretend that. Like, like even his Netflix films, which I don't know, I think are terrible. Like obviously there's a massive audience for it. And like this man understands it. And I, I do, what I really expect about him is he can do that. 
crank out like these silly things, but also is still interested in doing uncut gems. Like he, he obviously is like, it, it feels sometimes like he's just like coasting through his career, but then he'll just like randomly do an uncut gem. It's just like, oh, Adam Sandler is like a really interesting performer. So yeah. respect to Adam Sandler. And <laughs> he's I like, also like 60% of his movies. <laughs> well, he's also self-aware. I mean, when he was winning those awards for uncut gems, he was like, if I don't get an Oscar nomination, I'll yeah. come back with something yeah, even yeah, worse. Yeah. That was Hoobie <laughs> Halloween. So he was like, here you go. I'm just good play on a guy, guy with a goofy voice. Just yeah. a really weird movie. I don't know. I I think stuff like Fifty First Dates holds holds up. Um, yeah, and even I like, like I haven't seen Mister Deeds in a while. Um, but at a certain point, I just stopped watching them. Like you know, mess with the Zohan. I think was the last one that I actively like watched and sought out. And that was mainly just because it, he co-wrote it with Jed Apatow. And it was kind of billed as like another Apatow comedy. Um, but yeah, clearly there's an audience, and he's built his own like self-sustaining machine. I think the thing that's a little tiresome is when he he just kind of casts himself as like the lazy hero and just feels a little um, lazy, I guess. Like I tried to watch Murder Mystery and I do not turn movies off, but my wife and I just couldn't finish it. It was just kind of like, I, I don't. So and I like Jennifer Aniston a lot. And I was just like not interested in anything happening in that movie. So, so not as good as just go with it. No, not as good <laughs> as just go with it, which I have. Not but seen. what is? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, with that, let's move into recently watched. Uh, Vinny, what have you seen lately that you'd like to talk about? Um, I guess the most appropriate thing that I've recently watched for the first time, I don't know how I never saw this movie, but I recently watched the movie Warrior for the first time, Gavin O'Connor's Warrior. And it's oh. kind of like uh, Godzilla versus Kong, if they could talk. Like, it's like you, <laughs> you kind of get, it's like, a, I think it's like the peak of like the big sad boy genre like they're both just so muscular and have so many emotions and like i'm not a huge sports movie guy i'm not like a huge um i don't really like mma but like i kind of like low-key love this movie i don't know what i, I didn't think i would immediately because it was going from that like blown out look that i really really just don't like but like i i like bought in like i i did not i was just i put it on randomly didn't really like the beginning and by the end i was like really emotional over these over tom hardy and joel edgerton just beating the absolute crap out of each other but like <laughs> crying at the same time i think it's like a really well-built movie and it's like one of the only sports movies i've ever seen that sort of gives you two protagonists so you're not just like oh well of course the sports team is going to win at the end it's like you're kind of on two different journeys that meet in the middle it's almost like yeah. a like a like a sports movie that makes you root for both teams and you're just so by the time you get to the final game you're like i don't know who i want to win it doesn't matter because the emotions are what's important so like I I completely ignored that movie in 2014 or whatever and like it was never on my radar but it was on Amazon Prime people had been tweeting about it that I respect recently so I was like I'll throw on Warrior and it's like I guess I, I like I said I'm not a big sports movie guy but I feel like it's like now one of my favorite sports movies I I thought it was like a really well done movie and I I also really do enjoy that Tom Hardy's just sort of like used that body to play Bane <laughs> like a few months <laughs> later he is like inhumanly large in that film and really good in that film he's just as Tom Hardy usually is but it's not in a way Tom Hardy he's, it's a very just like withdrawn quiet performance well it's me. a very I yeah it's know. a very it's kind of a human low-key performance from a guy who is become known not for human. kind of <laughs> well just yeah. just sort of being like I have to add some sort of weird yeah. little flourish I have to I have to get in the lobster tank yeah like the flourish in that movie is like how large he is like he's the widest human being ever in yeah. the movie. there's like a, a one shot in particular like where his traps like definitely are like the top of his ears and it's not <laughs> natural but like again it's i don't know i i it's one of those movies where you sort of just throw it on because you're like i've never seen this movie let's fill this blind spot and by the end of it you're like i'm 
I loved that movie. Like, I'm going to rewatch that movie. So that's, and again, it's if you want the Godzilla versus Kong fights, but like you also want to cry a little bit, watch Warrior and you, you'll be surprised. I've never seen that movie. It's, it's good. I mean, it's, I'd say it's, I mean, you liked, uh, Adam, you liked The Way Back, right? I haven't seen The Way Back, but I have seen The Accountant. Okay, there well, that's about to be like, well, if you liked this Gavin O'Connor sports movie, you'll also like this I Gavin O'Connor I can't really connect movie. those two, but Gavin O'Connor, same guy. So <laughs> it, like, it's technically both directed by him. All right. I haven't been in the mood to watch like a, a deeply personal, sad Ben Affleck alcoholism <laughs> drama recently. Yeah. That was one of the films I saw before like everything went into lockdown. I saw that like a like a month before everything went into lockdown. I don't, but now I own it and I'm like, I, I'm glad I have it, even though it is essentially Hoosiers. Um, it's on I'll my tell you HBO what I Max what I uh, what I think of when I think of the way back is uh, seeing it in California, flying to New York to do an interview with Ben Affleck and Gavin O'Connor, telling them where I live, and him saying, "Why didn't we just do this over the phone?" <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> "Shit." <laughs> yeah, it's we, good to see you too. Should, yeah, there was like the that was our first interaction. They're like, "Oh, where are you from?" I was like, "California." And they're like, "Did you fly here for this?" I was like, "I did." They're like, "Why didn't you just do this over the phone?" And I was just like. Nice to meet you. Thanks. This is great. This is amazing. So that's that's what I think of when I think of the way. Boo hiss bye. Adam, what have you seen lately? Um, well, I watched a really uplifting documentary <laughs> called Collective, um, which it's a movie I've been trying to track down for a while because uh, I had heard great things about it. And then it got nominated for the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature and recently hit Hulu. Uh, so I finally gave it a shot. Um, and it's brilliant, but also devastating. Uh, it's it's kind of like a real time All the President's Men. It it as it documents, so it it takes place in Romania. It's a Romanian film, um, and this fire broke out at this club and killed twenty seven people, injured one hundred and eighty. But after the fire, another thirty seven people died, which was strange. Um, and so it kind of follows this local paper, uh, Sports Gazette of all things, as they're trying to investigate like what happened. Um, Come to find out the uh, antibacterial ingredients or, or supplies being used in the local hospitals are being diluted like by an incredible amount. And the hospitals are just rampant with bacteria uh, causing infections, which cause these people to die uh, needlessly. That's like the first 20 minutes of the movie. And it's only the tip of the iceberg as the documentarian then gets embedded with uh, a minister of health who is trying to tackle this corruption and uh kind of reform the health industry it's the kind of thing that you would like see in like an episode of the west wing or like an uplifting um like political drama or something but it's real life and so it's really it's really these journalists and this guy asking themselves how do we reform a system this large and this broken um and it's kind of terrifying the kind of enormity of the back dealings and bribery that's going on that's causing all of this death um it ends in a pretty upsetting way but i will i i will suggest you google what's happening in romania now to feel a little bit better um the documentary was filmed in 2016 um so as they were filming that's when you know trump was happening bolsonaro was happening uh uh the world was kind of tipping to these kind of far-right leaders and and you're seeing some of that reflected in in romania as the documentary is going on but it's really just like an incredible eyewitness account of this like investigation and and these journalists trying to figure out what's happening and you've got sources on camera talking about these horrible hospital conditions and doctors being bribed uh 
to like perform better surgeries and stuff. It's just really awful, upsetting stuff. And the media gets involved and the government gets involved and they're, you know, front facing and trying to put on a, a face that is, is going to like calm people and is ultimately a lie. So it's all just like terrifying and crushing. But again, like this is stuff you would see happen in like a really great political thriller, but you're watching it happen in real life. And you're seeing these people who are working to change it in real time. And uh, it's ultimately pretty hopeful and inspiring given the the dark subject matter at hand. So I would highly suggest checking it out. It's, it's well worth a watch and definitely would have been on my best of list had I seen it last year. No, it's great. It's one of those films where it's like, it's hard to convey that it's like, if you tell people what it's about, it sounds horrible. Not, not even yeah. horrible, but sort of like what Jason Schwartzman would recommend in Parks and Rec. It's like, it's a, <laughs> would you like to watch this, you know, this documentary about corruption in the Romanian it's healthcare deep system? Deep. Tears of my blowhole. And so, <laughs> and so it, I, but I agree, it's, it's put really well put together. It is, has great momentum. It, I like the way it sort of transitions between sort of the journalistic endeavor and the political endeavor. Um, it's really well done. Yeah, it's on Hulu. Check it out. It's also was nominated for for best foreign language film in addition to best documentary. So uh, check that out. But in terms of the pacing, like it literally does feel like all the presidents men because you're like following yeah. them, like following these trails. And right. Trails yeah. What's going on? No, it's it's really well done. Um, for me, I'm going to recommend The Hot Rock, uh, which is a film I've been meaning to watch. And then um, George Siegel passed away uh, last week and he is one of the stars of the film. And everyone was like, oh, one of his best films was The Hot Rock. I'm like, I gotta see this movie and it's not streaming anywhere. So I'm like, I'm just gonna buy it sight unseen off Amazon and hope for the best. And my faith was rewarded because it is great. Uh, it also stars Robert Redford as a guy who plans heist. He's just gone out, out of prison. And his friend played by George Siegel is like, I've got a heist for you. We have to steal. I want to steal this diamond uh, back for this African country that claims it's theirs. Um, and we want to steal it. And what the, so what makes the film so ingenious and it was written by William Goldman, which had I known that I didn't, I, until his name came up with the credits, I didn't know that. And I was like, William Gold's, Goldman is one of my all time favorite screenwriters. Why would you just not lead with that? And so he wrote this. And so the conceit of the hot rock is like, yeah, they have to steal the diamond, but then they keep losing the diamond and have to do a new heist to get the diamond again. And they, so they kept like, they, like they break into a museum and then they have to break into a prison and then they have to break into a police station. And it's just like, it's this great sort of like way that it builds and builds and you would think it'd be redundant, but it's not, it's really fun. Um, and just heist on heist on heist on heist. And it's just really, really fun um it's got a great sort of upbeat nature to it um i just really enjoyed watching it a lot it's a i think if it were on streaming i'd be like just go watch it right now on streaming and i don't i think it's maybe on at&t direct tv if you have that um but beyond that like i would say it's worth getting sight unseen if you can track it down um because it's really good so yeah i highly recommend the hot rock yeah, that's one of those movies where, like you said, because George Siegel died last week, I was like, what the hell is the hot rock? And when I looked it up, like every fact about it, I was like, how have I, like, not only does this sound like a movie I would be so into, but like like the cast, William Goldman writing it, I was just like, how has this movie been so like flown under the radar? So like, I, I'm going to track it down. And yeah. I didn't even know the plot. You just said the plot. Like, that sounds like the best <laughs> movie I've ever seen. But yeah, I, I will find the hot rock. Yeah, it's great. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, 
Uh, we are on all your podcast subscription services. So you just type in Collider Podcast and you'll find us. But uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Vinny, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm at Vinny Mancuso1. Uh, and that's with an IE. I know it's an easy mistake to make, but that's where I am if you need to yell at me about anything I said on this podcast. But, such as Jordan Vote Roberts yelling at Vinny over. Yeah. <laughs> that Twitter. was between us, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.